This is Hypercritical Weekly Talk Show, ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it cannot be complained about or criticized by my co-host, John Syracusa. I'm Dan Benjamin. This is a special episode. Uh, John is at WWDC, reporting live and direct from uh, his hotel room. We'll be talking a lot about that and other things, of course. But uh, first, we want to say thanks to our two sponsors, Rackspace.com and Shopify.com, which we'll tell you about as the program goes on. So how's WWDC? So, you know, I actually have follow-up listed on this sheet, but do you want to skip it all? No, let's do some of it, and we got to talk about your toaster. So let's do the follow-up. Uh, oh, and before, you know what? I even have some follow-up. So let me do mine first, because I almost never have any on this show. Okay, go for it. Uh, last episode... I was on a crappy USB mic. A lot of people seem to think that that was my new, and I'm doing air quotes, my new mobile studio or something, and that they were going to have to endure that kind of quality. And I had an an inordinate amount of people emailing me, tweeting me, or IMing me even, with great concern that this was the new quality of the setup. But you explained the situation. People don't listen. All right. I'm not saying you don't listen. You do. But other, yeah. some people were concerned about that. And that was a very unique one-off situation. I had only one computer. I only had a USB headset with me. It was a unique situation. It was not uh, reflective of anything we should ever let happen again. And John Zaracusa was the one that recorded that. I didn't even record it. That's how weird of a situation it was. So that did, clearly it's not a problem this time. And in fact, we, should, we have someone to thank. We would like to thank uh, Jason Snell the grand poobah of uh, Macworld for providing you with the, you're in a full-fledged studio right now. You're, you're wired up. You're mic'd up. That's right. Headset, mic, whatever this, the pop guard or whatever they call that thing. So we'd like to the thank mic. them very, very much for giving you such a great uh, situation. We tried to record yesterday uh, and the hotel internet, was, even though you were wired up there, it was a subpar. It was unusable, so we had to reschedule. And Jason Snell came to the rescue and said, "I have just the place for John Syracuse. Yes, he is a king among men. So thanks to him and his whole organization that he has built from the ground up. Yeah, self-made man. Mm-hmm. All right, now you're you're at you. All right, uh, I think it was like. Two shows ago or something. Sometime we mentioned tweet marks, which is Matt and Reese's service for keeping track of what position you are in the the Twitter timeline. Ah, right. And I complained about the fact that like that's something that Twitter should be doing. It seems like something that Twitter should be doing. And why would they? Why would they leave that to a third party to to keep track of uh, what your last read tweet was? And somebody, God, my memory's so bad, but somebody explained why that would be. Maybe it was Marco. Maybe it was Gruber. Maybe it was Manton. Maybe it was in person. Maybe it was on a podcast. Yeah, I'm pretty fried after a week. <laughs> but somebody had an explanation for why in the world Twitter wouldn't uh, you know, keep track of where your last read tweet was. And the idea was that they don't want you to read every single tweet, which is what I do. They don't want you to feel like you're behind and to like try to keep up with the Twitter stream. They, they want you to just you know, turn on your device and whatever tweets happen to be flying by at that moment, look at them. Because, right, it's not I mean, email. It's not a news group. It's not important to read right, what I, right. it's just about now. It's about right now. Yeah, they're trying to they're trying to influence the way people use it. Now, that's not the way I use the product, which explains why I'm so frustrated about, you know, not having this type of thing or uh, you know, and I and I guess I'm not the only one cuz Manton's making this service, you know. So right. there are other people who treat it more like kind of like a, a mailing list 
or, or like a bulletin board with just you and like, you know, 50 of your friends around because it's like a self-selected little mailing list with a couple of your friends. That's the way a lot of people use it, where you, you follow 10 or 20 people who you know, you only see their things. And it seems like all 10 or 20 of you are in a room. It's like IRC without being in a room and without having to, you know, have a client and all that. And so they want to see everything that their 10 or 20 people say as if you were all hanging out in the same room, just not just temporarily separated. You know what I mean? And that's the way I use Twitter. And that's the way a lot of people use Twitter, but that's not the way Twitter wants people to use it. And it may not even be the way majority of people use it. I really couldn't say how most people use Twitter, but at least there's some, and I don't know if this was an explanation from Twitter itself or just someone, you know, speculating based on things that they've heard or just giving a rationalization, but I bought it. I, that sounded to me like it was plausible. Uh, so maybe someday someone from Twitter will confirm that for you, for me. They're Actually, very, they're very, um, you know, tight-lipped over there. They yeah, hold their well, cards very close to their chest. Yeah. I talked to Lauren Brichter actually, met him for the first time in one of the one of the eight bazillion people I met at, at WWDC. But nice. he just does he just does the client stuff and really has no nothing particular to say about the grand vision of Twitter, you know. He's not really involved in that. All right. Um, and that's all I have for, for a follow up that's actually follow up. So you said you had a list on paper. That was like one thing. Well, you know, it's indented. There are a couple different levels. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, actually, this is in the follow-up, too. I thought you would bring it up, but you didn't. But I'm loath to bring it up, so I'm just going to skip it. The toaster? No. no. Well, that's not follow-up. Do you want to talk about the toaster? Well, I want to hear what this is. If you're, Especially if you're loath to bring it up, I must know what it is. No, I'm, I'm, to not, I'm not going to. If you think of it on your own, we'll discuss it. No. Not, just talk about the toaster. Toaster, you know, we'll get it out of the way before we talk about WWDC. All right. So, so I, I have sketchy details on how this whole toaster thing rolled out, but perhaps you can tell the story. All right, well, you know, anyone who listens to the show knows the whole toaster backstory. If you don't, go back a couple episodes and listen to the one where I complained about the quality of toasters and right. toaster ovens. And then, of course, on the next show, we had follow-up from people who wrote in about slot toasters versus toaster ovens and the different kinds of heating elements and, and all like sorts it, of stuff like, like that. like any good network, sometimes characters from one show appear on another show and, and, right. and backwards and forwards, you know, like... You know, you would you would have uh, Fonzie showing up on Laverne and Shirley or whatever it was. So it's the same thing. In this case, Fonzie uh, was Marco and you were Laverne and Shirley. Well, and actually, the, I mean, Marco got to talk about toasters before I did because I had mentioned that I was going to talk about toasters. Well, he, he caught recorded, on to that. Yeah, he recorded an episode before I even recorded my toaster episode where he talked about his toaster. So going in, we already had heard about his toaster. And then in my episode, I talked about mine. You talked about your toaster. We linked all three toasters in, in the show notes and we discussed their relative merits and, you know, uh, I, I forget what the other things we discussed in that show, but that was one of the topics. I think it was the same show as Twitter. Uh, but at any rate, that's been you know out there in the network, in in you know in the five by five network. This discussion of toasters, but obviously I was the genesis of the toaster thing because I had originally said that I was going to complain about toasters and eventually did. So, what was this? Two days ago? No, maybe it was yesterday. I'm losing track of the days here. I was sitting down to a session at WWDC and got a, a message on my uh, uh, a Twitter DM from Marco saying. Uh, hey, can you come meet me and Merlin uh, down on the on the first floor for a second? And I hadn't yet met Merlin at the show. It was been a few days in, and I hadn't run into him. He's, he didn't attend the show, but you know, I know he lived here, and I had heard that a couple other people were talking. So I was like, oh, Merlin's there. I should go down and meet him. Otherwise, I might have said I'll meet you after the session or something because it was the session I wanted to see. But you know, Merlin, having Merlin's name in there, and oh yeah, I better go down there because it's maybe my only chance to to talk to him. And I went down there, and there's Merlin and Marco. And a couple of the people standing around and like, hey, how you doing? And then I see they have this gigantic box for me. And it's the, the, 
very large, surprisingly large box containing your toaster, your exact make and model of toaster. <laughs> right. Which I had, you know, looked at and said that, you know, I, I liked what I saw and I had, you know, I had downloaded the PDF manual when you told me about it <laughs> just, and just to get the measurements of it to see that it would fit and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, maybe I'll think if I can. Well, they and had, you, had, you had gone so far as to put it on your Amazon wish list, which yes, is public. Yes, so, so I wouldn't, yeah, so I wouldn't lose track of it, you know, because it's the exact model number and maybe I wouldn't remember which episode right. it was on, you know, in the show notes and stuff like that. So, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. How, I think Marco said he went to the show notes and got that. But anyway, Marco, Merlin, and a bunch of other people had been at lunch together just, you know, hanging out or whatever. And at some point, they, they came up with a toaster idea. I think Merlin was like, we should get him a toaster. And, you know, uh, that type of enthusiasm can be infectious in that group. And I think they were all a little slap happy at that point. So what did they do? They ran out to Bloomingdale's, looked for the toaster. And lo and behold, there was like four models of toasters that they had there. And one of the four models of toasters was your exact model of toaster. And you just you just got the biggest upgrade of your whole life. Yeah. Yes, I was I was uh, very touched and and flattered and amused. And then of course at that point they have to have me. I had like a pink ribbon on too. They had to have me posing with the toaster, carrying it. <laughs> and of course I'm I'm now you know socially obligated to do whatever heck, whatever the heck embarrassing thing they want. It's just in the middle of WWDC, mind you. So here I am in this room full of nerds with the big huge banners with Lion and the iCloud thing hanging overhead carrying a huge toaster box standing in the middle of this floor with 20 people taking pictures of me with iPhones. Celebrity. So, yeah, so you can see those online if you're really interested. We'll try and get the... Did you add them to the show notes? I mean, I, I have not added anything to the show notes because, uh, yeah, I, the Wi-Fi at the hotel is like $15 a day and I only paid for the two days that I used it. Once I did a video chat home to my kids and once I tried to do the, the thing with you. So uh, that's got my little show notes book and marklet and blah, 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 blah. So... I haven't done any show notes. I'll have to do them retroactively. But yeah, I'll put well, there's it. a new. I added a new bookmarklet to the CMS. That I saw it. I saw it. Yeah, yeah, the one that adds the live show. Yeah, yeah. So you can do it before, now, or after it goes live. Yes, I'll, I'll get show notes up. They will have these pictures in it. Um, I was debating whether, it may, depending on how much time I have to do this stuff, maybe I'll do like a uh, a video unboxing of the toaster. But oh, more, you've got to. More likely. I will, once I get back home, it's going to be back into the swing of things and, you know, won't have time for, plus I have to get my review written. So maybe I will just be able to use it. And certainly on a future show, I will give my analysis of the toaster. I've already discussed with the people who are responsible for giving to me that (laughs) if there's something bad about the toaster, I'm still going to say it, but don't feel bad. It's not like I don't appreciate the gift, but it's, you know, it's my way. Right, so I will give I, I will give a review of the toaster. I did say that no matter how much I hated it, I would never ever return it because it now has sentimental value. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, so it's it's the WWDC toaster. So right. that was it's a great. very nice gesture by by Marco and Merlin, and I really appreciated it. It was touching from people I had just met. You know what I mean? You actually experienced a human emotion for one of the first times, besides anger. I do it all the time, but you know, WWDC, I really have been uh, overwhelmed with how how nice everybody has been uh, to me in particular. So, you ready to talk WWDC? Yeah, I'd love to hear what your take on it is. Have you, have you heard any of the other shows or have you been sequestered enough? No, to I've, do- I've intentionally not listened to Marco Gruber's podcast because I'm sure they're going to say exactly the same things that I did. So if you already listened to Marco Gruber's podcast, I'm sorry if I repeat stuff that they said, but it's, it's just a coincidence that we are all saying the same thing. I mean, and of course, in this case, well, all of us have actually talked you know, before our podcast in person about the topic, uh, which is a change. So the odds of us saying the same things are very, very high. But we'll say them in different voices. Uh, and so, as someone in the chat room noted, yes, I am very hoarse today. Uh, it's, it's been a long week of late nights for an old man, all right, and lots of loud music and shouting. So 
you know, this is a great microphone setup, but you're, you're hearing my hoarseness in all its glory. This High is resolution. such a great, I mean, we got to get you a better mic at your house yeah, yeah. or wherever you record. I kind of find Fortress the USB of solitude. thing. The USB mic has some charm to it. Mm, really doesn't. It was better than, you can't, you got to say it's better than whatever you got for fries. That, <laughs> well, you know, because I've been using my thing the whole run and no one has said, hey, you know, John sounds awful. You really got to get him a new mic. They said you sounded awful immediately because that that thing was horrible. It was horrible. I won't even I won't even say what brand it was, but it was horrible. And beyond that, here's the other thing: is that you were recording it with Skype call recorder on your end. Yeah, it's uh, double whammy. And then then that made it even worse. Maybe if I'd recorded it here, it might have sounded a little better, but I doubt it. But yeah, I, well, I don't no, even want to. Unlike you, I don't I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. Uh, so I won't even say that it was a Logitech headset. It's a chance uh, they'll sponsor the show, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not too late now. Yeah. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, didn't listen to their episodes. I did see some of the titles of their episodes because I downloaded them onto my iPod for the flight home so I can listen to what they have to say. Um, Circling now, birds. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I float I, above. I float above, yes. The circling birds, I can guess. Like, uh, Marco's show, I, it's probably the least surprises because I was sitting next to him during the keynote. <laughs> so we, we kind of shared that experience yeah. <laughs> together. Uh, so as for, as for WWC, you know, the first day they have the keynote, right? But everything after that is under NDA. So a lot of people have been emailing me and, and sending me messages on Twitter that they want me to talk about X or Y because they read about it on some site. But I'm not going to talk about anything that wasn't in the keynote. Because that's still under NDA. And, and truthfully, most of the stuff you want to hear me, you know, what do you have to say about this particular thing? If it wasn't mentioned in the keynote, you're going to read about it in the Mac OS X review too. So you'll have to wait until my Mac OS X review to hear my take on things that were not in the keynote. But I, I will discuss things that were in the keynote. Time's running out for you too. Yes, I know. They said July, which is killing me. Like they didn't even give, they didn't give well, you a good Well, you know, day. but they always do that. They'll say July, and what that means is the, the last day of July. I really hope it does, but I have to assume they mean July 1st. So I'm going to be working like a madman <laughs> to try to, you know, get something ready on July 1st, and, right. just, and then I'll just polish it. In it. You know, the thing, the thing with this thing is it's never done. It just it escapes, you know. I, it, whatever the deadline is, whatever I've got at that point, that's it. But, you know, with online publishing... Up until like the last second that's published, I'm adding stuff, fixing stuff, correcting stuff, adding another sentence. Sometimes even like in the first five minutes that it's published, I'll add a sentence or two. Just I cannot stop, you know, like, oh, there's another tidbit. Oh, here's a clarification I got on this, you know. It's like a living document. Eventually, I just have to let it go. Uh, so I will work that way with this document right up until it, it goes out. Now, as for the, as for the uh, attending, before we talk about the keynote, attending the stuff. Yeah. Since this is my first WWC, the thing I hadn't really given much thought to was that when I watch the videos, which I, I've done for years and years, I can watch pretty much all of them. But when you're there in person, it's a multi-track conference. and You can't, you literally cannot go to all the sessions because you can't be in five places at once. And it was frustrating to have to choose between, you know, two, sometimes three sessions, all of which I wanted to see. And the worst part was that if I missed one, that means I have to wait, you know, a, a week and a half, two weeks for the videos to come out. And now it's almost July 1st already before I can even see the session. You know, even though I went to WWC, I can't, there's a session that I, I cannot see. And, you know, until I get to videos and that may be, you know, days before I have to be done. So uh, that's a little bit tight. So uh, being there, great experience overall. I mean, this is this is your your home turf, really. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I get the impression of being here that like like saying you go to WWC for the sessions sometimes seems a little bit like saying you read Playboy for the articles. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. And and I was like, no, I'm going, you know, before I left, like, you know, I'm going for the sessions totally because I need to 
to learn this information, to do my review, so on and so forth. But uh, realistically speaking, especially for the first time, maybe it would be different in, in subsequent. But for the for the first time, it's like meeting meeting the people and talking with the people was so much more important than the sessions. The, the sessions were great, and I love the videos and everything. And I do need them to do my job, but the reason it was worth all the money and time and vacation and you know everything to me was was meeting the people. So that was. Uh, the, the most enjoyable thing, the most gratifying thing, and uh, the thing I'm going to miss, you know, assuming I don't go next year, which I probably won't, is, you know, seeing all those people again. But just meeting them the first time was great. So you're there, you're at WWDC, you're trying to pick tracks. Yeah, well... Let's talk yeah. about the keynote first. I mean, yeah, before yeah, so. we get into the... Who cares what session? I don't care what session. I, 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 can't, I, can't, I can't talk about those other sessions anyway. Yeah, so, so, right, right, so the keynote... Um, first time being in the same room with Steve Jobs for you. Not true. Not true. Electrifying. Not true. It was the first time. I went to Macworld New York 2001 and I got a, a free apology mouse. Remember? I think we discussed this. Yes. Yes. So I've, I have seen him speak before. And actually, I've seen, you know, I went to the Boston Tech Talks, which were free to all registered developers. Remember the Tech Talk things? It was like a little mini sure. WWC where they'd come to your town and some of the guys who gave the same you know, presentations WWC would do. You know, it was a one day thing, one track. Uh, in, in a, a place in Boston, you know, where, so I didn't have to take, uh, you know, uh, a plane anywhere or get a hotel or anything like that. So I went to that. So I feel like I'd been to a mini WWC, but this is, you know, on a big scale. This place is huge. It's really nice looking. And there's just tons and tons of nerds here. Uh, but anyway, I had seen Steve speak before. So I was, uh, you know, I, I'd asked uh, Marco before, like the days and the weeks before, how early do you have to get online to be able to get into the keynote? You know, or asked a bunch of people who had actually been there, and Marco and a few other people said, "Oh, you know, like six a.m. something like that. You should be okay." So I got in line at six a.m. and the line was like wrapping around the building, all the way back to the front door again, around like an entire city block. It's crazy, uh, but the place is huge. So I did actually at, lining up at six. I did actually get in. Uh, we did a little bit of like you know a, a line rearrangement once it became a giant mob. So both Marco and I advanced from where we were <laughs> where we were waiting in line. Now, did you find did. that because of your uh, because of your notoriety and fame that people would, you know, g- let you advance freely? Oh no! Once you get inside the hall, you're not in a line anymore. You're in like kind of a big mob, and right. they have like you know tables on the side for you to connect your laptop and plug in. And I think they even had coffee or something like that. So it became less of a line and more of a mob. And once it was a mob, we could move forward a little bit. We were still pretty far back, but anyway, we were far away from Steve, but we had a good position. We picked one, like where we could see one of the big screens, but we could also see Steve at the same time. Uh, but anyway, so he went into the keynote. Um, the first thing they started with was Lion, which I really don't have anything to say about for the podcast. Uh, not because... I, no, well, you want to keep it. You've got you've to yeah, keep control of but, your but brand. The other thing is, though, nothing they showed at the keynote was something that if you were a developer, you didn't already know about. Like the previous developer builds, which were all under NDA or whatever, but what, what they showed on stage would only be new to you had you not been a developer downloading the Lion builds. And of course, I had been downloading the Lion builds, so they didn't have anything new. Like, you remember that Lion preview they gave way yeah. back when? Yeah. All right. There were new stuff. If that's all the last time you saw Lion, then you saw things that were new. But if you had been downloading the builds... It's like, yeah, I know I've, I've done that. The only thing that was frustrating to me was that every time they'd pull up a screen, you know, I'm like, oh, they moved that thing again. And I had to redo all those screenshots. Like, they, kept, they keep moving stuff around in the UI, like trivial cosmetic changes. But it does mean I have to go back and redo these screenshots, some of which were, like, carefully arranged to have, you know, just the right amount of data in them and stuff. So some of that was frustrating. But, but yeah, Lion was first. It was, it was the least. There were no surprises there. And, and that, that went off fine. Uh, and the next one... I think the next thing was, was next thing was iCloud, I think. Or maybe it was iOS 5. But iCloud was at the end. It was iOS 5. 
Yeah, I'm going to talk about iCloud first, though. Okay. Um, so, I mean, we are, iCloud is weird because, like, they did that press release, and they said, we're going to talk about iCloud, and it was uh, Apple's upcoming cloud services offering. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. And I tweeted, that's like the most un-Apple-like phrase I've ever heard. <laughs> right. right? So the Almost sounds part, like something Sun would say. Right. So the first part is upcoming. Since when does Apple ever tell you anything that's upcoming? So upcoming right away, un-Apple-like. They don't, you know, pre-announce stuff like that. And then cloud services offering? What the hell does that mean? That's like a corporate enterprise doublespeak BS that Apple absolutely does not do, ever. Uh, and that's what they call this thing. So that was kind of, you know a low point, I think, for Apple PR. that you know The fact that they had to explain it at all. I, I agree with Gruber that they were just trying to, once again, set expectations that there's not going to be an iPhone on the stage, right? No hardware, guys. Seriously, this is what we're doing. Lion, iOS 5, iCloud. We're not going to tell you what it is, but we're going to tell you the name, and that's it. So I believe they had to set expectations, but cloud service offering is not a great name for anything. Um, now, as for iCloud, we all know, like, if you've been following Apple for a long time, you know, there was iTools, there was .Mac, there was MobileMe, and no one liked any of those things for varying reasons. You know, they weren't that successful. They had problems. They were annoying. They were expensive. iCloud, cloud services offering brings to mind, all right, it's going to be kind of like what .Mac, MobileMe, all that stuff did, but not as crappy. That was like the going to the show, you know, what it's going to be. And the thing about these, these cloud services things is that, like, the way Apple usually does stuff, uh, and Gruber had a good article about this, I think it was on the back page of Macworld, is that they create something, create something simple with like a clear purpose and message, and then they improve it. They iterate, they polish. You know, they don't sit on their laurels. They don't make something and then try to milk it for profits or whatever. Uh, you know, they put out version one, version two, and get better and better and refine and just, you know, and that process leads you from like the original iPod to, you know, going up to like the the iPod touch like the gap right. between those two is humongous and it's just you know under the same product name iPod and they just they just iterated and iterated and, and just every, at every opportunity like going from the the mini to the nano a big leap there from the nano to that crazy wrist, wristwatch thing and then onto iOS you know these products benefit from iterative improvement now in the cloud space they haven't gotten that benefit because they've sort of gone to a bunch of dead ends like iTools was kind of like whatever and then dot mac was like their first attempt but people didn't really like it and then you know, mobile me was like, well, okay, let's try it again. How about this? And I was like, no, that's still kind of sucky. So it's like a series of false starts instead of, say, iTools had been off- awesome and they had iterated on it and kept the brand name, you know. And by now we had like iTools version 27 and it was super awesome. Now, we don't get the benefit of Apple's usual iteration on cloud services. Instead, we get just a series of failures. And so no matter how good iCloud is, it disappoints me that it's not like the fifth revision of some service, you know, it's the first revision of, of some service. Now, you know, how much underlying stuff they reused or how, you know, how they redesigned it under the covers. It's a shame that in 2011, we are getting the very first, you know, iteration of this product from Apple. And we have to wait like five years for it to get, you know, really good or whatever. Um, and, and it's like, we're much farther behind today than we would be if, if they had gotten a clue about this cloud stuff. Um, so speaking of getting a clue, the money diagram and the iCloud introduction, uh, uh, and again, Gruber wrote about this, correctly picking the most important uh, thing they showed in the keynote was the slide where it showed the Mac, which was previously described as the digital hub, like the place where you connected all your stuff, your right. camera, your iPod, and stuff like that. It was demoted from its place as the hub at the center of this diagram, lower down to be just another device. Just and another at the bottom, device. They had iPods, laptops, and the Mac, right? 
And then what they put in its place at, at the, you know, the hub thing was, uh, you know, iCloud, a big metal cloud looking thing. Um, and then Jobs, if you would listen to any of the previous shows where I talked about their online services and compared to Google, where Google's thing is like server canonical, where the source of truth is on the, is on the server. Steve Jobs literally said on stage that cloud is the source of truth. You know, that, that whole right. source of truth thing is like technical you know, a term of art for the people implementing this stuff. And he's probably been embroiled in it enough to have picked up that term to start talking about it. But yeah, that's what he said was that the cloud is, is the source and everything else is, you know, subordinate to that. And it sounds like exactly what Google does. And it sounds exactly like uh, what I have been asking for. And the, the other thing that, that, again, I think Ruber noted this first and, and I picked it up as well in later sessions was that throughout this entire thing where he would say, here's the cloud, here's your devices, blah, blah, blah. He did not say the S word, sync. He didn't say, and your documents sync from the cloud down to all your devices, mm. or, and, you're, and you, you know, put something here, and it syncs up to the cloud. And it's, it, ask anyone who's in this industry to talk about this cloud stuff, and they will say the S word at some point, right? And it seemed like he was consciously avoiding it, because all of us were listening, waiting for him to say that, and he wouldn't. He would pick a different word, like it's updated from, or pushed to, or you know, whatever. Like, it was like almost awkward, like he was working around it. And in fact, many people went out, he did eventually say sync, because it's just very difficult to talk about this without saying sync, but the way he spoke about it, it was clear he was trying not to. He just slipped up, right? Why? Why do you think it's important not to say that? Well, I, I'm, I'm not sure why. I did eventually get it confirmed from various sources that the, the Apple message is try not to say sync, right? And I think why they're not saying it, they didn't give reasoning. They just said that, yes, that is actually a thing. It's not your imagination. You're not going crazy. Of course, you know, Steve can get away with saying because who's going to yell at him when he slips up? But anyway... Uh, the thing about sync is that sync is hard. Sync is difficult to implement, and people's experience with sync, is, especially on the Mac, is not good. Like iSync doesn't have a good rep. Dot uh, Mac sync with that stupid conflict dialogue where you got to pick something based on you know you don't have enough information to pick. Sometimes you just see a big hex dump of, of the right and left side, and you have to pick like that. Sync, you know, or you try to sync and you like doubles all your contacts or it screws something up. You know, it's got a bad rep. It's a bad word. People don't like to hear that. You know. Mm. And, and the thing, and the reason, and this is not like just Apple screwing it up. That doesn't hurt, but you know, sync is just hard. Period. You know, not everyone can agree on what the right thing to do in a situation where you have multiple changes to something that are all scattered throughout time. Like, what is if you got a room of people and say, "What should this look like?" They can't even agree. So, how the hell can you implement something in a computer program when people can't even agree what the right thing to do is? And this is like a formula for a bad user experience. You know, when the when the mental model of the user does not match the computer model the user perceives that as bad user interface. So if the user thinks X should happen and the computer has a different model and makes Y happen, the user is pissed off. And like I said, people are going to all have different agreements. You can never make a computer model of sync where everyone will agree with it. You know, everyone will agree with, with the results. Um, and, and the thing is, like, if you, if you throw this problem at a computer scientist or, you know, because those are the people implementing it and you tell them to do sync, they're like, all right, well, you know, what? They'll do something like, you know, this version control in software. That's, that's a, you know, all about sync of taking changes from one person and another person and merging them together and stuff like that. But if you were to implement that in a straightforward way, things that, things that like are considered clean merges in a version control system, for example, a clean, you know, three-way merge, which a software developer can understand and understand why it got there and implement it and so on and so forth. Regular people have no idea what the hell three-way merge is. So, you can get things like where you have a single document, like a single text file that's updated by several different people in several different locations across time. 
something that is technically speaking a clean merge of all those changes will result in, from the user's perspective, a nonsensical document that never existed in that state in any one place. So as far as they're concerned, we're like, what do you mean this is a clean merge of my changes? I never saw this document in front of me. When I went into this other computer, I loaded my document up, and what I saw there was not what I saw on computer A, not what I saw on my iPad, but some weird conglomerate that I don't like. But on the other hand, things like, you know, not documents, but records, like a contact, people want mergers there. Because like I added the guy's telephone number here, and then when I saw him in, you know, in person, I added his email address on my iPod, and then on my Mac, I want to see those things merged, right? Right. So it's just, it's really hard to get, to get sync right uh, on this. And I think that's why they wanted to avoid the word. And in the implementation of Ogda, which they didn't go into, and unfortunately I can't go into it because it was NDA, uh, Let's just say it operates in practice a little bit differently than that diagram. Uh, I guess I can. What can I discuss about that? Um, yeah, I guess I can talk a little bit. So in, in in the keynote, he was saying that the server is the source of truth, but all of his discussion of iClouds, especially documents in the cloud and stuff like that, later in the thing where he's showing diagrams with pictures moving between the cloud and the devices, it was all about documents traveling between devices. He would always say things like that. I think this is a direct quote that I have in my notes is iCloud pushes documents to users' devices automatically. So that sounds fine. Everything It's like, oh, he's avoiding the, saying the word sync. He's just saying push. But let's get back to, you know, my, my thing where I was talking about Google's model where the server is canonical. Google doesn't talk in those terms. Google doesn't push anything anywhere. Your document never leaves the server. Like your Google Docs thing, it, your document is in the cloud. You see it. When you view it on an application on one of your devices, when you bring up a web browser on whatever device you have, you are looking at the one and only copy of that document that is in the cloud versus the way Apple talks about it, which is the, the cloud pushes the document down to all of the devices, as in each document has a copy of that thing. And your document is made in one place, goes up to the cloud, goes down to that device, down to that device, down to that device. And now, it's kind of semantics. It's like, what's the difference between pushing the document from where I write it up to the cloud and then pushing it down to all of the other things versus, oh, it was always in the cloud and you're just viewing it there. Well, when you view it, obviously the bits of the document are coming down. But like there is a technical difference. Like in theory, I mean, this is not practically speaking what goes on. But in theory, when you pull up a document in Google Docs, it could just show you the first page of the document and the only bytes that were transferred from Google server to you is the first page. But the, the mental model that Apple is proposing is that when you make a document on your Mac, it gets pushed up to the cloud, and when you fire up your iPad, that document, the whole thing, gets pushed down, and you open it in pages on your iPad, and there is the whole document, right? It's not like you're using Pages as not a viewer app for a file that lives in the cloud. Pages is an application that opens local files, and the iCloud magic makes that file that you created there also local over here. You, you see what I'm saying? It's like... No, it's I follow little, you. It's a little bit... Especially when you get to down to like the bits and bytes... It's just a term of semantic. It's just a question of semantics and just the words you use. But I really think there's something there in terms of how the two companies think about things, in terms of like who owns the data, right. you know, and like how the importance of the server and stuff like that. And the the thing that occurs to me when I look at that diagram that's got the cloud at the top and devices on the bottom is that the shape of that diagram is artificial. The cloud top, the the documents on the bottom like a big triangle, you know, where the the the, uh, the cloud is the source of truth. Say, I think if you take all the items in that diagram and rearrange them, there's nothing about the cloud that makes it, well, there, is some, there are some things, but nothing that makes it special. Like, it's more of a peer-to-peer -peer relationship than it is a, a Google's thing where the server has your document, right? 
it's more of a P2P thing. And, and it's especially true because they talk about LandSync, which obviously Dropbox does. Like if you have two machines that have Dropbox and you put a new file in your Dropbox, uh, or you, no, you, you, you log on to your Dropbox on one computer and, and another computer has files that this one doesn't have because this one hadn't been turned on in a while. Instead of copying those files down from Dropbox, it will copy them over your LAN from your other Mac because it's a lot faster to get that document from the Mac that has it than to go all the way to the Dropbox service. You know what I mean? Uh, now, most people wouldn't say that Dropbox is peer-to-peer, but right. it does that, you know, they call it land syncing, right? So in the relationship in that diagram, if you uh, turn on your iPad and it hasn't been turned on for a while and your Mac in the other room has a new version of, of some document, your iPad is not going to go to iCloud and ask it for that document. It's going to get it directly from the Mac over there over your LAN. At least that was, was said in the thing. Like, so it seems more peer-to-peer than it is server-canonical Google-type thing, right? And technologically speaking, uh, there are details now that I can't go into of whether that really is the case. But just mm. from, from the diagram, it's, you know, obviously the iCloud is a special peer. It's not the same as all the other peers, but it seems almost kind of peer-to-peer, especially since the documents are always moving around. It's not like they live on the, on the cloud and we look at them. They're, they're moving around, you know? And again, there are more technical details to that, but I don't want to go into it. Well, our first sponsor today is Rackspace.com, the service leader in cloud computing. If you're building an application, chances are email is a very important part of it. And when you sign up for Rackspace cloud servers, you become eligible for a free SendGrid account worth up to 40,000 emails per month. And managing email deliverability is something that's hard. It's a challenge to do this. And now uh, with Rackspace and SendGrid, you don't have to. You don't have to manage it anymore. You can learn more about Rackspace cloud services in general and more about this special offer by going to rackspace.com slash five by five. So mobile me. Mold me is dead, Steve. Yeah, Steve it's pretty some. much gone, right? And it, it it'll continue. People can continue to use it to a certain degree. All of the find my Mac or find my iPhone, iPad stuff will continue to work. But how how do you feel for the poor people who thought, wow, in advance of uh, iCloud, I better sign up for that mobile me account and bought one? Yeah, they can get refunds through some process, and and everyone's getting extended to like 2012 June or something, you know. Uh, but the, the thing about it is, in the keynote, he put that up on the stage and he described iCloud at a high-level term. And he said, you know, well, how can you trust us? Isn't this from the same company that brought us MobileMe? You know, which is usually you don't hear Apple saying that a product that existed 10 seconds ago is a piece of crap. But that's basically what they do. You know, sometimes they'll crap on their products that were from years ago and say bad things about them. But the MobileMe was like right up until that keynote started, it was their one and only, you know, online services offering and then in that keynote they just he just threw it under the bus right right so that was a big laugh line in the keynote right because you know it's it's shocking to hear him say something like that only steve jobs can get away with saying something like that and we all kind of agree and it's funny but then he went on not to really answer that question you know how can you trust this company that brought your mobile me and we got the laugh and it's like well all right so how can we he kind of tried to answer it but like what it boiled down to is like trust us we got it right this time we you know i guess the answer was we, we screwed understand. up so bad. We screwed up so bad the first time. We won't make that mistake again. Well, that was the third time. Fourth, fourth <laughs> time's the charm. But like by them publicly acknowledging how awful Mobile Me was, it was reassuring us that yes, we understand that we screwed up. We're not under the delusion that we did it just fine before, and it's just you know your fault for not understanding our grand vision and why you people always complain. Like so, showing that they understood, like us, what was wrong with Mobile Me was supposed to give us the faith that they would do something better, and and it did help a little bit. Uh, but 
there was no like, well, let me tell you exactly why it's going to be different this time. Uh, so in terms of the iCloud stuff, you know, uh, we'll see. Again, maybe fourth time is the charm. Uh, but yeah, the, the questions I have for mobile me, though, that aren't answered anywhere that I found. I've been trying to read on it as much as I could in between doing stuff. But what about stuff like uh, galleries that you put up from iPhoto or iWeb sites? You know, what about the iWeb application? All that business. Where does that stuff go? Because I have, I have stuff back from, you know, .Mac homepage. And then I have iWeb pages. And I do have, you know, iPhoto galleries. And, and I mean, iPhoto galleries integrated into the iPhoto application, right? So what's going to happen to that stuff? Does that stay up there forever? Does it get decommissioned? After, you know, June 30th, 2012, when MobileMe goes away, what happens if you try to, in iPhoto, try to say, you know, upload this i, you know, this MobileMe gallery thing? Does it not work? Does it say, sorry, even though you have this program and it used to do this, MobileMe is actually gone now, so tough luck, right? And by the way, if you have pictures there, they're all gone. Uh, no answers for that so far. Uh, judging by how they decommissioned .Mac homepage, I'm, I don't have great hope that they're going to help us preserve our stuff in any particular way. So that's kind of depressing. At least iWeb, I think you can export it to an FTP server, and I think you can export it as local HTML or something like that. So you won't lose your stuff. But I don't know what we're going to use for the equivalent of that, because the reason I use iWeb, which is an awful, awful program, you should never use it, by the way. But the reason I use it is because it integrates, or my family, rather, uses it, is it integrates with the iLife applications, and someone who doesn't know any HTML can just drag a bunch of images out write a little blog post, and, you know, and put it on its way. I think my, my wife in particular now is, has more than enough skills to be able to use like a Flash uploader like you do on you know, Shutterfly or Facebook or whatever to, to do the same thing. But back when we started doing this, it was just easier to say, oh, you know how iPhoto works? Well, here's all your iPhoto stuff and just drag it onto the page versus using one of those stupid uploader things. You know? uh, so I'll be kind of sad to see the idea of an application like iWeb go away. And I mean, does this, does this uh, guarantee that iWeb is going away? I mean, obviously. I, I just assume. I mean, like it's hosted on MobileMe hosting and no part of the iCloud offering was like, and we'll host web pages for you. Like they never said that at any point, you know? So yeah, there, were, there were a lot and a lot of people have uh, emailed us or, or asked on Twitter, you know, what, what is going to happen with that? And I had dug up early on that little uh, article from Apple that basically said, you know, this is good for another couple months, but it doesn't doesn't really answer any of those questions. Do you think that the number of people that were actually just using those services, whether it's iWeb or whatever kind of hosting, that there just weren't enough people doing it to matter to Apple that the, that they felt like, well, it, you know, only a few people use it so we can get rid of it? Well, I think they just want clean breaks. Like, Apple's always big about the clean break. And certainly, with the disdain that Jobs showed for our mobile me, he wants that out of his sight, out of mind, stops. Like, yeah, I, first of all, yeah, you're right. I don't think there are a lot of people using I don't think there are a lot of people using mobile me, period. And there's even a smaller fraction of those using these particular services. And they've already shown with that Mac homepage when they decommissioned that, they don't mind telling people, like, you got six months to get your crap out of there, and then we're just going to take it offline. We don't care where you go, but you can't stay here, you know? That they did that with that and I, with with MobileMe homepage or with .Mac homepage, I think they're going to do the same thing with uh, with MobileMe. But the jury's still out because they haven't said anything one way or the other, and they have you know until June of 2012 to decide what they're going to do. So maybe most likely they haven't even decided yet. You know. Uh, the, so the next item about I, iCloud. iCloud is free. It was a phrase used often. He used the big uh, keynote transition with the big giant free word comes down and smashes the ninety nine dollars from MobileMe. <laughs> Uh, and you get, you know, email contacts and calendar syncing for everybody for free. Hallelujah. Because Top Mac and MobileMe were so horrible. You had to pay $99 a year. And you could add an additional email address for like 10 bucks a year, which is insane. Anyway. Right. $10 uh, but, for an email address. Right. But then that person wouldn't be able to sync their email contacts and calendar. 
there would only still only be one eye disc, you know, so like, well, you know, so I could sync my stuff, but my wife couldn't unless we bought the family plan, which is like 150 bucks. It was just all, it was like in a fantasy land, right? Uh, but when he said iCloud is free, I remember thinking and tweeting at the time, like, you know, uh, uh, Apple thinks iCloud is so good, they're going to make you pay for it, you know, and I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. And so they went through this whole thing of like, well, there's three other apps and then three more apps and there's documents in the cloud and all this other stuff. But I was like, no, Apple has to get paid, right? They're not going to do anything out of the goodness of their heart. There has to, you know, it's not a charity and it doesn't do ad supported stuff. And at some point they explicitly said, oh, and by the way, in our mail, there's no ads like so sticking it to Google, you know, you know, it's not ad supported. There's not, and we're telling you all this stuff is free. How are they going to get money? Right. Uh, and finally, at the very, very end. And I thought this was super clever because I did not predict this. The way the way they're going to get paid is say iCloud is free. But you know, what costs 25 bucks a year. iTunes match. Right. And they give it a different name. And it's like, well, it's it's vaguely related to iCloud, but no, iCloud is free. You see, iTunes Match is twenty five dollars, but iTunes Match is you know so incredibly attractive because they are the only company that did the deals with the record companies. Right. It's like legal, free, and clear. And by the way, we'll upload all your crazy music that we can't match, which was my big concern. I thought there's no way in hell they would do that. I don't even know how they swung that because I was like, how how is iTunes Match going to help me? Because I have things like you know anime soundtracks or like. Uh, video game music remixes that are never, ever, ever going to be on the iTunes music store and they're never going to match. And that's what I listen to a lot of the time, these really obscure things that, you know, nobody else likes, you know, knows about or has uh, up in a store somewhere. Is it just like like, uh, the sounds of a modem connecting or something that you listen to? You know, well, you're not you're not really a video gamer, but if you're a gamer, you have emotional connections to theme songs from video games. I I can get I'm on the same page. Right. And so... So, people so you listen to like the premise. Frogger theme song or Donkey well, Kong or something. Well, you start from that premise of like, you know, the 8-bit music with the bleeps and the boops. And then people do remixes or orchestral arrangements or combinations like that. Like uh, OC Remix dot, I think it's dot org. Letter O, the letter C, it stands for Overclock. Remix dot org is a website that's just filled with video game remixes. And anime soundtracks. Like if you're watching anime that you like, there you have interesting soundtracks uh, in them. Or, you know, or even just things like movie soundtracks. iTunes doesn't have everything. And they have, you know, whatever, 18 million songs. But they don't have everything. But if you couldn't listen to, like, say, say that's what you're into this week and you listen to, you know, a new soundtrack or a new bunch of remix or even, like, you know, those illegal mashups you find online from the best of booty and stuff like that, they're not going to be on iTunes because they're all completely illegal. But they're great. And some weeks that's what I'm listening to, right? So if iTunes Match had no solution to that, it wouldn't be very good. Well, <laughs> they're going to upload that for you too, you know? So they will not upload the stuff they can match. That's, that was their big selling point. You don't have to spend a week uploading. Of course, it wouldn't take me a week over Fios. But for regular people, it's going to take them a long time to jam all their information online. They said, no, Apple will just scan your stuff, match it, and say, all right, I found that down there. Yeah, we've got that for you in the cloud. I found that down there. You've got that for you in the cloud. And the stuff they didn't find, they'll just upload those 10 songs. So it is an incredibly attractive offer to get any music you buy anywhere, any music you rip from your CDs, anything anywhere in your iTunes library you can listen to everywhere. Uh, and you just give us 25 bucks a year. So it's recurring revenue. I'm sure out of that 25 bucks, the record companies are getting paid. Apple's getting paid. I don't think it's covering their costs, but I think they finally have, have come, become, uh, come, to peace, come to terms with the idea that online is going to be a bit of a cost center for them. Like, I remember talking to somebody about MobileMe way back when when I wrote some, some really nasty thing about MobileMe because it was pissing me off. And someone from the mobile me team was talking to me and I had asked, does the mobile me team have to make money? Like, are they responsible for, you know, profit and loss or whatever? Now, there was that fortune story recently that said that people inside Apple uh, 
are not responsible for profit and loss really within the departments, but there's still an awareness of like, are you expected to make money? Like at the end of the day, like, or, you know, and the mobile me guy said, yeah, we're, you know, we're expected to like cover our costs. You know, it's not, mm. again, it's not, it's not a charity. Right. But that $500 million data center and all the bandwidth and all the stuff like that, there's no way I, I can't show this that way. Maybe I don't know what their numbers are like. Do they think enough people are going to sign up for iTunes match? At 25 bucks a year, that's going to pay for whatever they have to pay to all the record labels, plus cover all their hosting costs for the free iCloud. I, I don't know. I haven't done the math on it. Doesn't it seem to you like it's not enough money? Oh, it's to- definitely oh, it's definitely not enough money. But here, So here's a question, but something I, I just want to address and see if you know the answer, if you've been able to deduce the answer. And that is, let's say you do this iTunes match, right? You pay your yep. 25 bucks. Yep. Let's say you've got, I don't know, five, what's a reasonable amount of gigs of music to have? Five, ten? I don't know. Say, say it's ten. Twenty. Twenty. Yeah. So you go through and you, you, you go through and it, it finds, I don't know, you know, it finds, says, oh, I, I can get 85% of that. You pay your 25 bucks. Now you've got, you know, whatever it is, 15 gigs or more in the cloud. Now you can download that to your iPad. You can download that to your iPhone your other Macs, right? All from the cloud. And then you're actually maybe even getting higher bit rate, higher quality music than you might have ripped it at. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, they also, you know, they, they match the song. They're not matching the file. So if you have a crappy version of a song, they've got a better one. They let you listen to that. Right. So you may have ripped it at 64 for, uh, you know, who knows, 128. Who knows what you did? Right. And they're going to, oh, well, we'll give you this high quality one. So here's the question. Let's say that the year it comes up and you say, oh, I can't afford it or I don't want to renew or I'm not really using this. You keep those tracks, right? Or do they go away? Do they get taken from wait, you? Do you keep which tracks? The oh, tracks. The 256s? Yeah. Are they still on- in, in the iCloud for you? Are they still in your iCloud? Are they still sta- down on your devices and, and they're yours yeah. once you get them? I'll have to try that I haven't, because I haven't actually tried it yet, but... Here's my thinking that like the, the previous discussion about what iCloud actually does, that it's actually making a da- the data move around between your devices versus we've got one copy of your data, it's in the cloud, and you can view it or stream it from that location. Now, I would imagine that it's going to send you like you know the whole 256 kilobit AAC file. Right. You know, like if you, for example, if you were to go onto a brand new device, you just bought an iPhone, and you you know start listening to music in iCloud. It's not going to be streaming it from iCloud. You know, it's going to eventually, I would assume, copy all those songs down to your... And yeah. I'm just, again, I'm just speculating, but like based on how documents in the cloud and everything else works, it seems to me that... You know, I, I wouldn't say that like iTunes Match has to be necessarily any way related to documents in the cloud, but just based on their idea of like pushing documents between, it seems like you would have the file. And it's DRM-free, and I suppose they could try to yank it away from you, but I don't think so. I think everything that happens stays and i think if you were to stop paying all you would lose is that now when you buy a song in your iphone it doesn't suddenly appear on your mac like that's what you're losing right right you're losing that that synchronization so it's not so much about uh you know because you you already had the rights to that one song like even if it wasn't something in the itunes store like assume you you rip something from a cd that apple doesn't own you know that's your song and you could already put it on your iphone your ipod your ipad you can already do that now right so it's not something new you're getting all you're getting is the you don't have to do it manually you don't have to synchronize all your stuff and copy it around and it'll it'll go through this intermediary point and do it for you so i'm assuming you keep all that stuff and and if they upgraded you i'm assuming you keep the upgrades but we're all just guessing at this point they'd have to be able to keep them 
Yeah, it's just it just seems like the way Apple does things is we copy your stuff around from place to place. Not we have one copy of it that you can access sometimes, and then we take away your access to right. it. So that that transitions nicely into what iCloud is not doing. And what iCloud is definitely not doing. I don't remember if this is in the keynote or it was just in my notes, but one thing it's definitely not doing is storing all your data. So for example, it is not backing all your stuff up. Right, even though they said, "Oh, it'll be backups for your iPhone, and if you lose your phone, just go to a new phone, type in your username and password, and all your stuff is there." Mm-hmm. When they say all your stuff, like if you ever look at the size of your iTunes backup, you know your iPhone's backup in iTunes, like look, you know it's in I don't know somewhere into like you know library application support something or other music whatever. The backups are only a couple hundred megs because they're not making a separate copy of all your music because that's already in your iTunes library. They're not making a separate copy of all the iPhoto stuff that's synced there, but that's already in the iPhoto library. They're only backing up basically your apps and whatever application-specific data you happen to have on your phone. And that's not actually a lot. So when they say they're backing up your phone, they're not like – they're only backing it up enough to restore its state to the way it was. So I, I doubt they're you – know, for example, they're not backing up all the iTunes music that's on your phone because that would be gigantic because they know they can get that again down from – you know, they can get it from synchronizing through your Mac up through the cloud down to your other thing or, or through iTunes Match or any other type of service, right? And for the Mac stuff, forget it. They're certainly not letting you shove all your iPhoto library up there. And I think on most people's Macs, the iPhoto library is the largest consumer of disk space. That's certainly true on mine. Mm. You know, because that photo stream thing they have, that only stores photos for 30 days. And the synchronizing down stuff, they only synchronize a thousand of those, fo- the latest a thousand photos down to your iPad and your, your iPhone and your Apple TV. So if your Mac blows up and you didn't have a backup, your crap is not in iCloud. It's not, you're not saved by iCloud. You don't buy a new Mac, plug it in, put in your iCloud information and get all your stuff back. You absolutely do not. Unless I guess you have less than 1,000 photos, all of which have been taken in the last 30 days. You know what I mean? Yeah, then um, you're, you're really SOL at that point. Yeah, so and that's, anyone and that, who's listening to this, don't assume iCloud. Stop, you still have to do backups. Go listen now, to do the you think that'll episode. change? Do you think that will change? Do you think you that to, they'll they'll have an add-on, whether it's five bucks or whatever? I mean, they'll have something that says, oh, yeah, you can do all of you it. Have to, you would have to charge for that. I think right now they're pushing, they want adoption. And like he was saying, we want to make it free so everybody will use it. Um, now, there is a five gigabyte limit on stuff in the cloud. And that, only, that includes things like mail, documents, and, and backups. But not like, again, they mean your phone backups. The backup of just the, the minimal amount of stuff they need to restore your phone when they can get the other stuff from other locations. Uh, but that five gigabytes does not include photo streams. So it doesn't include your 30 days worth of photos. It does not include purchased music. I don't know if that extra adjective there means that it does include music that you didn't buy through the iTunes store? Does that count towards your quota? I don't know. It doesn't include, it doesn't include purchase music, apps, or books. So those all do not count towards your quota. So maybe possibly your unpurchased music counts towards your quota. But the thing is, that 5 gig limit, even though they didn't say this in the keynote very quickly from you know, the press and various other people asking Apple, Apple was pretty open in saying you will be able to pay for more space. We just haven't decided on pricing yet. And of course, I'll say, but it'll be very competitive and blah, blah, blah. So even the, A, they're not backing up your stuff. And B, the stuff they are letting you put on there has a five gig limit. Uh, and you'll have to pay if you want more than that. And I don't know if it'll be like a monthly thing or a yearly or what it'll be like. But it's kind of like Dropbox, you know, where if you can stay under the cap, it's free. If you go over, you got to pay. Um, and I just want to see what their pricing is going to be like on that. But let's just reiterate this. I mean, you kind of said it. The people who I think were thinking or hoping that iCloud was going to be the Dropbox killer. Dropbox really doesn't have anything to be concerned about at this point because the only way that you can store data from an application on iCloud is if that application 
supports and uses the iCloud API to do that. And, and what that means is if you're using anything in iWork, for example, and that was the one they were talking about the most, which is probably the only one that can do this right now. Uh, in other words, you, you launch pages, you have iCloud set up, you create a document, it's just there. It's up there on the cloud. Whenever you make a change, it, it's pushed up there. If you go grab your iPhone or your iPad and launch pages on that, you'll see that new document. If you make changes, it's up on the cloud too. You'll see those on your computer, etc. But... In order to, so it's not like Dropbox where that's just a folder. What do you want to put in there? Put whatever you want in there. Organize it however you want to, and it'll get synced up and down and everywhere. That's Dropbox. This is not like that. You, you don't have, I'm sure somebody will eventually come up with some kind of app to do this, but as it stands right now, you don't have just a folder to throw stuff into. You have an application which has its own understanding of files that it manages which it handles pushing up and pulling from the iCloud service. Yeah, I think this is another example of positioning uh, because they definitely said, we didn't want to just do a better iDisk. Uh, they didn't mention Dropbox by name, but they basically said, we didn't want to make a big directory full of stuff that we synchronize. Uh, now, it's interesting that they said that because one of the reasons people love Dropbox, I think, is this their slogan or is this someone else who's talked about Dropbox? But they're saying, why did Dropbox succeed? You know, because they made, maybe it was Joel Spolsky who said all this. Like, they didn't, people didn't want, like, some really complicated thing. They just wanted a folder that syncs. It's a folder on my desktop. I put stuff in it and it syncs. And anytime I say, yeah, but what about this? What about, you know, having ability to partition things off and share things and blah, blah, blah. And eventually Dropbox did add some of those features, but it's like, no, it's a folder that syncs, period, end of story. It's simple. People can understand folders, and, it, and Dropbox has been wildly success, successful. So it was interesting to hear Apple say, we do not want to make you a folder that syncs, despite the fact that the one product that makes you a brain-dead folder that syncs, everybody loves it. Right. We're not making that. Right. Because they didn't want there to be some other thing that you learn. Steve Jobs kept hammering home, say, it's in the applications. There's no new thing to learn. You just have like a new button in your applications. Um, and I think that's very smart and, and typically Apple where, you know, as simple as Dropbox is, it's a folder that sync. They know that there are a lot of people out there who just don't understand folders, period. You know, if it leaves their dock or somehow they lose it on the desktop, they don't know where the hell anything is anymore. It's like, no, it's in your applications, you know. But you know what else? You know what else this does is it also, and maybe this is you have to think Apple thinks about this thing. If you look at the average size of a Pages document, now Keynote is certainly going to be bigger. But you know, if you think about the size of your average Pages or Numbers documents, they're not that big. They're way different from what people are doing on Dropbox, and in a way. Yeah, you know, they they are doing a lot of things with music and iCloud, but that's that's kind of a different story as far as just data like you could upload, you know, the ISO of some large game or operating system or whatever it was and and upload things to iCloud and just totally dominate the space even if you had to pay for it. I just feel like Apple doesn't want to be in that business. They want to they want to create a service that's 100% supportive of us using their apps the way they envision us using them. Or a third-party uh, app. Or a third-party third, app. Third right. A third-party app, yeah. But the thing I was getting at with the positioning, though, is yeah. that under the covers, like, <laughs> bottom line, it's not magic. There's some directory somewhere with files from which they leave your computer and go up to the <laughs> cloud. You know what I mean? Like, as you said, someone thinking of coming with an app, like, 
There's, there's a folder somewhere that syncs is what I'm saying, right? You know, or multiple folders or whatever. Like, there's no avoiding, you know, there's no magic happening here. It's the, the file system is still the file system. The, the, the trick is that users don't ever have to know or see that folder. Like, it's invisible to them. They never have to deal with it. It is not like Dropbox. But, but practically speaking, the difference between Dropbox and iCloud's file storage, you know, documents in the cloud and Dropbox is just tiny details of, like, what is the particular protocol that you use, uh, how do you do your diffs? Uh, you know, how do you deal with uh, data versus metadata stuff like that? You know, it is it is actually an implementation very similar to Dropbox in terms of like the the high level view of what actually happens. You know, without getting into the particular details, but it you know the the genius of Apple is to figure out that it's not a technical problem; it's a way of framing it. And if we could just frame it in this different way, the fact that the underlying implementation is broadly similar to Dropbox does not mean that we have to present a product that is anything like Dropbox. Uh, and that was really smart, I thought. Uh, now, the, the real thing that burned me in the, the iCloud thing is that they went through that whole thing and still no, didn't address in any way at all the problem that we talked about in the Noah iLife is an island episode. Uh, for the people who didn't hear that, the basic idea is that when families use iLife, you know, the husband takes a picture of the kid, the wife takes a picture of the kid, but the wife can't sync her iPhone. The wife's iPhone syncs to her computer, but the husband's iPhone syncs to his computer, but the iPhoto library is on the husband's computer. So now we have to copy the photos from the wife's computer to the husband's, but if she made annotations on them or rated them, then maybe those don't train. It's They're like silos of where you put stuff. When when families take pictures, there's like a, fam, you know, a family photo album. There's not dad's photo album and mom's photo album. So what happens when you, have, when you have these people who are the best customers of Apple who have multiple Macs in their house and everybody has a Mac, right? Is that, you know, they, their stuff is stranded where on their particular thing, and you have to end up like having, if you're disciplined, say, okay, dad's computer is the iPhoto computer. And if you have any pictures anywhere, everyone's iPods have to sync with dad's computer, all on the same account. And if you have any pictures on any of your cameras, plug it into dad's computer and put them there. And that will be our family, I've, I've, you know, family iPhoto computer. And that's not practical and it's stupid and it's punishing Apple's best customers. Now, with the photo stream thing, they're still in silos. Mom takes pictures of her kids, and they instantly sync up to mom's iCloud and down to mom's iPhoto library. Dad takes pictures, they go up to dad's iCloud, down to dad's iPhoto library, and you still have these silos of pictures. And it's like no recognition of how real people in the real world are using their products, their best customers. Uh, so that really annoyed me. Uh, I continue to wait for that. Like, like I said in the show, when, when iLife first came out, it's like, yeah, well, it's obvious what they missed here is that there's no good way for families to use this. But back then it was like, well, how many Macs are in the house? Not many people have multiple computers, so on and so forth. But then version two came out and version three, or, you know, whatever the years they were. I mean, they skipped a couple of years here and there, just version four. Well, I don't even know what number we're up to on iLife, but it is way, way overdue to have that ability for I, the iLife suite to work the way families do. And it really hurts to have this brand new, awesome cloud thing come out and still be stuck in silos. Like, this was your opportunity to unify. Make a new version of our life that works with this. Have, like, a shared, you know. But no, still silos. Uh, so I now continue to patiently wait for Apple to address the no iLife is an island thing. I have nothing particular to add about predictions of when that's going to come or not. I will just continue to patiently wait, as I have been for many years. So the final thing I have on iCloud is that after all this stuff, they said a lot of things that sounded right, a lot of people were tweeting when it happened, like, this is exactly what John was talking about in that hypercritical episode, like, especially when he did that thing with the cloud at the top and said the cloud is the source of truth. Like, isn't that exactly what you were asking for? As I hope I expressed before, I think there is a disconnect between what Google does and what Apple was saying it does, despite the fact that 
there are some underlying similarities. There's a, there's a different philosophy and actually, I think, a, different, a little bit of a different technical reality going on here. But aside from that, it's clearly better than, than the idea they had before, which was this crappy $100 thing with one account that didn't scale to families. That's one thing iCloud has done is at least give everyone you know, their own contacts and email and stuff like that. So I applaud them for that, even if it's not exactly the model that Google uses and that I held up as the ideal situation. But it all comes down to speed and reliability. Because, you know, the fourth time they're trying this, you know, this can all be great. Everything should, can be, you know, the, the big data center. Say you, you, you love exactly how they described it. You want everything that works like that. But if it's slow or unreliable or screws things up or, you know, for example, duplicates all your contacts or wipes them all out and you can't figure out what's going on because something's happening on a server that you have no control of, that's going to be a shame. And I'm going to say like 50% of this, 50% of this at least is reliability, speed. And historically, Apple has just not been good with those things. And it's a lot of the reason why people like me like Google, because, you know, the UI is clunky and sometimes it's ugly and they do weird things. And there are ads, but their servers are up, they're fast, they scale. It's not like Twitter where, you know, there was a dark period of three years where Gmail was constantly down. No, they, Google has their act together in this regard. And thus far, Apple has not. So I am, I'm cautiously pessimistic, let's say. Mm. I, I'm, I'm still fearing the worst, but there is hope. So, you know, we'll just have to see what it's like. You know, I, again, I haven't actually used this thing. I've been too busy. A, a new hope, it. you would say. Is that safe to say you have a new hope? <sighs> I don't know if I would say that. Okay. Yeah. We'd also like to thank Shopify.com for making this show possible. They are a great supporter of Hypercritical and our other shows. Shopify is the absolute best way to sell anything online. Uh, for people who are designers, you can go ahead and customize the whole thing with HTML and CSS and make it look exactly like your website. And if you're not a designer and don't even want to mess with that stuff, you can pick from one of their really awesome pre-designed themes. It'll make your site look uh, like someone spent a year making it awesome. You can, of course, customize it later if you feel like it. And uh, this is a great thing. It's totally secure. You don't have to worry about managing SSL certificates. They do it all for you. They just make it simple. It's the easiest way to do it. Now, normally, they give you the first uh, month free, which is great. You think 30 days free to try it out? That, that's really nice. But because you're a 5 by 5 listener, we're going to do something extra special for you. Go to Shopify.com, and when you sign up, use the code 5 by 5 and you will get three months free. I love Shopify. You'll love it too. Go check it out, shopify.com. That's all I've got on iCloud. Do you have anything else on iCloud? You no, you've, you've certainly covered it. I, I mean, I think it, it really is something that for the average person, not the nerds like us and the people who listen to this show really, but for the regular human beings who are going out there and buying a new computer and just want to use it, and oh, I, I, this is really cool. It just saves all my stuff up there and it's everywhere and oh, that's great. And they don't, they don't really need to think about the details. That's who Apple really has in mind. They don't have us in mind for this. I'm not saying that we won't use it or that it's not, they don't think we'll like it. But the, they have the regular human beings in mind, not the, near, the nerds. People who don't subscribe to MobileMe are the target audience for iCloud. Because, <laughs> right, people who don't I, know about is, it. As they said from the people talking to the people at the Apple stores, MobileMe is a hard sell. They do not sell a lot of copies of MobileMe. Who buys MobileMe? You know, do, you, do you subscribe to MobileMe? I was a mobile me subscriber for, I guess, about a year. And just, I hate to say it, I just got fed up with it and it was too expensive. And I realized that I could sync a lot of the same things that were important to me. I really wasn't like a bookmark sinker. That just wasn't me. Yeah. Uh, but I did like keeping the address book stuff in sync. And, you know, 
really that's what I was mainly focusing on was that. And I said, you know what? I can now uh, address book support syncing with Google, and I just synced with Google instead, and it, it works great. And it's been working great, and I don't have to pay 99 bucks a, a year so for it. Even you're not using it, but like, you know, I've been using it forever. You know, I would have gotten off it if I could, but, you know, I think Ruber's still using it. You know, a, a lot of nerds, Mac, big Mac nerds use mobile me, but iCloud is 100% targeted at the people who never could yeah. never be persuaded to pay $99. Basically, the people, you know, smarter than us are, have, you know, like, for example, I kept subscribing just because I use Yojimbo, which is an application that no one has even heard of in like the regular world and it uses mobile me to synchronize across computers and i rely on that app so i would pay 99 dollars a year just for that app right it's interesting to say what's going to happen to that app i'm assuming it will have to adopt the icloud services but since icloud is free and since i'm the one who doesn't have to do the development uh i wait patiently for bare bones to update your jimbo for icloud and i love it see i for the record i uh even though they're well i don't know if they say if they advise against it but there's a certain way that you can use Yojimbo with Dropbox. Uh, there are some precautions that you need to take if you do it that way. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've looked into that. I just, you know. I do it. I don't, I don't want to have to think about that. Both, I do you it. Know. I used to yeah. use it with the mobile me. Yep. And it's, it's better with the mobile me, but we'll have to see. All right, so iOS 5, I want to get this through. Uh, you have something to say to, about it? You don't, no. you don't even uh, have an iPhone. You're right, but I mean, I have, I have a little bit. It's not as long as the iCloud stuff, though. It's the meat of it. Although there is some iCloud tie-in. That's mostly what I have to talk about. But okay. first, uh, notifications. Uh, so, yeah. So Apple's playing catch-up here. Everyone knows they're playing catch-up. Uh, the thing about notifications and kind of the reason they took some so long, I always thought, was that, you know, they, they kind of, Apple kind of painted itself into a corner with the iOS UI. Like, they figured out the way everything's going to work, like with iPhone 1, and with very few exceptions, like they've stuck to that. There's a little status bar at top. The application is down below. You know, there's tab bars, navigation bars, so on and so forth. There's an on-screen keyboard, no physical buttons except for the home button, stuff like that. But then, and then, you know, there's a bazillion apps. The app store is huge. Everybody loves it. It's very successful. But all those apps out there, like there's no place to put a notifications UI, you know. So they put that big blue box over the screen, but that's modal. Like it stops when everything's going on. It says put the big blue box over the whole screen. Where are they going to find a place to put those notifications. Now, Palm's WebOS is, you know, often cited as having great notifications uh, because they're, you know, they're persistent, they're easy to get to, they have, a, they have a nice display and there's actions available for each one. And like, you know, especially back when Palm WebOS 1.0 came out, they were the king of notifications, you know, unified across all of the different services and everything like that. But WebOS from day one, it was designed in a way that applications on WebOS expect to be able to, to be squished. Like when the notification stuff comes up from the bottom of the top, I can't remember where it comes up on, on, uh, on WebOS, the application's display area gets squished and the applications have to be aware of that and, you know, rejigger themselves to make sure their UI is still, like if it's just a single screen or something, make sure everything still works and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But iOS apps aren't like that. They expect to have from the status bar down and sometimes not even the status bar. What are you going to do for UI? Like, how do you pull up the notifications? They already use double tap on the one button they've got. They can do a triple tap. They tap and hold. They, they've used pretty much all those combinations that I've described for various things, you know, and the uh, like the volume buttons. Like, what are you going to use to bring up notifications? And it was it's difficult to see where, where they were going to go. The status bar up top, it's already filled with stuff. You got the little compass icon for locations and your signal strength and the Wi-Fi indicator and the little words AT&T or Verizon. You know, that's that's already kind of full. And it's not a great tap target. And already when you tap that target, 
it's supposed to bring you to the, you know, the top of the documents, right? So, and it, it would be too much to ask, you know, if you said, if Apple said, okay, notifications are going to squish up from the bottom and now please rewrite all your apps to handle the fact that we're going to squish your viewport now to be, you know, smaller than it was before. Right. So, the solution, which I had to kind of chuckle at when it came, when it came up on the screen was, how does a notification look? Because they didn't want to put the big blue blocks over your screen. So, they had the guy plan, you know, cut the rope uh, during the the thing and I said watch I'm going to send them a notification it's not going to interrupt them I'm like so where the hell is this going to appear <laughs> well they just take the top you know 16 pixels or 48 pixels I don't know how big it is they just take the top stripe off the screen from the app and they steal it sorry app you're not getting those pixels anymore the OS is taking them over and we rotate it around and we show you your notification and the app still thinks it's displaying stuff there it's like do 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 I've got the whole screen and the OS has just simply stolen the pixels away from it uh, I mean, transiently, obviously, the, the notification goes away and it can be dismissed. But if I was playing a game and a notification came in, look, you can keep playing your game. Not if that thing just covered up like the next wave of enemies coming down in the little <laughs> you know, shooter game that I'm doing. Or I was doing an IM conversation or an email and that just covered up the message from the guy that just came in. You, you know what I mean? Now, can't you get my understanding is that and I believe they showed this is you can choose what kind of notifications you receive, yeah, yeah. and maybe you can even choose choose what kind of notifications you receive uh, per app, perhaps. Yeah, so putting controls on that is good, but that's in the end that was their answer to like, what if you want to see notifications? Like, if your wife is calling, you want it to interrupt whatever it is you're doing, but nobody likes the blue boxes because they're just so heavyweight. So they try to make them lighter weight. So even if you had some fine grain control of what you allowed to go through, this is this is the way in which you will be notified sort of asynchronously whenever a notification happens and how much less annoying it is you, to, to you than the blue box will uh, determine how much you want to do it. But the second thing that the notifications obviously is that the big problem with the blue boxes is that you've accidentally dismissed it or something, they're gone. There was no persistence, which was just inexcusable. So now they have a way to get your notifications persistently. And again, they have the question of how do you pull up the thing that shows my persistent notifications? Do I have to go to the home screen and pick an app? Is it something in the double tap multitasking thing that I have to scroll to the left, like where the screen brightness and stuff is on, on you know, the iPad or whatever? Their solution to that was swipe down from the top, which, as I understand, uh, I'm not an Android person, but apparently that's exactly what Android that's does. That's exactly what Android does. Yeah. And the thing about that is that's a move that would definitely be better with a Palm OS style, or with, not Palm OS, with a Palm style gesture area. You know what I mean? With the oh, yeah. Palm has the, the gesture area in the bottom. If the next iPhone had a gesture area where that blank black thing is where it's only housing the FaceTime camera right now and I guess the speaker for your ear they could put a gesture area in that black part to give you a little bit more runway for that gesture because again if you accidentally hit that status bar like you try to do a swipe but it registers a tap on the status bar you just zoom to the top of the document you were reading in Safari or whatever and that can piss you off uh, and Marco actually edited a, an explicit feature to Instapaper which is great where if you tap the top bar they say did you really mean to go to the top or do you want to go back to where you were and I bless that feature every time it accidentally happens to me. So I can imagine someone trying to look at their notifications real quick. Now, you can use that top black area where the, 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 FaceTime micro, the FaceTime camera is as your runway for swiping. And that may help you do a clean swipe, but it's not detecting your finger until it hits the status bar. Uh, so this, we'll have to see in practice how, how much of a problem this actually is. Uh, but I do think that there, there have been rumors of Apple adding gesture areas to their phones or whatever. And that's the... That's like the only place left on this device because I certainly don't want, they certainly don't want to add more buttons. So what else can you add to this thing? Well, they do have those black regions on the top and bottom that are currently mostly inert and they could make them sense touch 
in a way that like it's a nice to have, but the phone doesn't rely on it, and maybe you know maybe it just helps with that particular gesture. Maybe they'll, ne- they'll never do that. You say that, but they'll never ne- do that. Never, never say never. Uh, I mean, there was the rumors of them ditching the home button and making it touch. I think that is more crazy than adding gesture area because the gesture area say you you never know it's there and don't know it exists. They could still use it in subtle ways to figure out the intent of the user pawing at their device. You know what I mean? It doesn't need to be an interface element like a button that you interact with mm. that you're conscious of. It can just be something that makes the, it makes the phone feel more magical. Like, how did it know that was my intent? Well, actually, we're sensing your fingers even when they're off the screen. You know what I mean? All right. Uh, what else on iOS? PC free. That was, that's been a long time coming. Yeah, cutting the tether. No need to plug this thing into your computer. It's not just the setup thing. That's what they said. If it's a shame when you buy this device, you have to plug it in. But if this is the post-PC era, why do you have to plug it in? But just everything. Over-the-air updates. Over the, I mean, this is iCloud-related because even, you know, they talked about this before iCloud, actually, but it was clear that to do this, you need something. You need something that's always on that is your thing that your phone syncs with, and that's basically iCloud. Or you know, iCloud is an umbrella term. The, the number of things that are behind that, mon- that name, technically speaking, are many different services, many of which have absolutely nothing to do with each other except for the fact they're all described with iCloud. And, and so in this case, iOS 5 is the magical thing, but yeah, but it's talking to things that are under the umbrella of iCloud. But being able to over-the-air updates of the OS, of applications, having your applications sync with you, just not having to plug in that stupid dock connector. Hallelujah. And we did a show about the dock connector and how much I hate it. And if this means the dock connector can slowly, can finally fade into the dustbin of history to be replaced by something, something that charges the iPhone, maybe inductive charging, maybe just a Thunderbolt port that charges the thing. Because once you can do all your syncing, then, I mean... But the still, the there are still people who will always want to sync... Uh, with a connection, there are people who might not have. I mean, as weird no as this one, sounds, no one to wants to sync with the connection. The, the, the real thing is that there's an ecosystem of devices that connect. Well, to but the remem- remember that syncing won't happen unless you've got power plugged into it. It won't it, sync without that. It won't. You won't like say you buy an application on your iPhone, uh, uh, and on your other i on your other iPhone or on your other iPod Touch, that application won't sync to it. My understanding is that I mean, maybe I got this wrong. So I'm, you know, I don't need email about it, but you can tell me or, or the chat room can tell us. Uh, my understanding, though, was that in order for, for you to do that kind of syncing, that it, it wants to be plugged in when you're doing the syncing, like power. And I'm not positive that that's required yeah. for in every event. You know, when I think about it, Max will yell at you if you try to do a software update and they're not sure. plugged in. Like if you have a laptop, it'll say, hey, you know, this might take a while and it's going to burn a lot of battery because we're going to use your disk. You're sure you don't want to plug in? So right. I can imagine them having something in that, Area, but the whole, the key point is that they don't have to pull the data over the USB cable anymore. They can do it over your Wi-Fi. But wouldn't network it, wouldn't it be like much much faster to pull data over USB than it always than it will? I mean, what if what if you're on a camping? trip? I don't know what's what's the what's the eight hundred two eleven N versus uh, what if you're on a camping USB trip too? and and you you forgot to you know you downloaded some podcasts and you want to convert you know you want to get them on your your iPhone and you're too far from uh, a signal to get it and you don't want to have to set up an ad hoc network on your laptop because you don't know wh- how to do it. And It should get- land sync them. And if it can't land sync them, it should use AirDrop, the, the uh, peer-to-peer mm. Wi-Fi ad hoc c- connection. Between, you know, that's All I'm saying, saying had- is there's still people, there's going to be edge cases out there, people who just want to do it the old-fashioned way. They just yeah, want to plug yeah. in. I mean, like, like I said, the, they the just want to plug in. Dock connector is not going away just because so many products plug into the dock connector and certainly that's that'll remain the only thing they ship with the thing is going to be dock connector cable and so, someone in the chat room points out that 
the PC free thing has a lot to do with also that the people aren't syncing their stuff anymore. I don't know where he's getting this information from, but anecdotally, you can imagine it. Where someone will buy an iDevice, an iPod, an iPad, yeah, an iPhone, plug it in when they first get it, and then never plug it into their computer ever again. And the only thing they ever plug it into is the wall socket or you know the wall connector thing to charge it, and it never touches their Mac again. And they, they, they buy all their stuff on it, they watch Netflix on it, they download apps on it, but they never, ever connect it to their computer again. And I know people who do this. I don't know what the percentages are, but, but it, it's true that it does happen. And all of us knew that it was just kind of perverse that these devices that are supposed to be post-PC devices are so reliant on, on the PC. Uh, so so right. thumbs up for PC-free. Uh, I guess we will have to try it and see what the reality is and how what things still require being plugged in for and how, how you know, untethered you can really go. You know? uh, iMessages. Is it iMessage or iMessages? I have it singular here, but I think I it's... I think it's iMessage, but I don't know. Yeah. People know what you're talking about. So, yeah, I've, people, heard, I've even heard it called iMessenger. Yeah, uh, just like the iTouch, right? So I don't, yeah. think it, I don't think it matters. But this is great. This is their big uh, aerial assault on uh, BlackBerry's messaging thing. My question for you is, are we going to get a Mac client for this, or is it going to just work with iChat or FaceTime? Please answer. Oh, jeez. I'm going to say it's so hard to call because like they made FaceTime and you're like, but why is this a separate app? Why doesn't this, why didn't you just make iChat support this? So, so you've got iChat, we've got FaceTime and now you've got iMessage. So it's like three non-interoperable. You know, I, I don't understand what their messaging strategy here. Is. I mean, I love, I love the fact that you have this on, on any iOS device. I mean, it's, it's genius. It's pure genius because all of us hate paying money for text messaging yes. it's it's ridiculous this has everything it, it has attachments it has everything that you could possibly want and it's it's genius and it doesn't cost anything and the carriers heard about it apparently at the same time we did when we were uh yeah. watching or reading about the keynote they were just as surprised as us and it's genius it's a great thing for apple to do i'm glad they did it why isn't there an a mac give me a mac client i you know what don't even th- I, like I, I get that they may maybe don't want to announce it immediately, but they should they should say and this will be coming to Mac sometime soon. You know, just uh, yeah. I don't know if the Mac it. is they consider the Mac participating in that little family. Like they want people with why not then iPhones, iPod Touch, and no, iPads why not? to communicate because this is the replacement for texting, not for IM. You know what I mean? I think they see this right. As, but here's the thing: if I if I want to IM John Syracuse. Oh no! I, I understand conceptually speaking, like you shouldn't care I what shouldn't network care. it is. Yeah, just but, let me message him, but, and if if regardless of where he is, what device I, I, he's on, but or I'm I mean, but get inc- incorrectly, I believe Apple sees this as uh, you know people text from portable devices, people don't text from desktop, and it's a different world and whatever. They haven't gotten the clue. I mean, they clearly haven't gotten the clue because of the separation between iChat and FaceTime. iChat does video conferencing, so but how FaceTime. can they? This don't is what I don't. Care. This is what I don't understand, John. How can they get that wrong? I mean, they're they're so right on so many things, Different especially in uh, I don't know. Like, I, whenever I see something like that, I I see it as a, a symptom of a corporate sickness. Like they just haven't quite gotten their acts together. Too many people go in too many different directions, and I always think well, there's some sort of org chart reason for these things to be all messed up like this. And it's going to take someone a little bit higher in the org chart to demand some sort of coalescing at some point in the future. Because I would imagine the iMessage team's mandate was. Uh, SMS like 
Speaking of SMS sucking, so we did it. We did a show about this. It wasn't a whole show about it, but at some point in a past show, I did my thing where I complained about SMS. Maybe it was my my why I don't have an iPhone episode. I don't remember. Uh, and a lot of people were uh, sending me messages and emails during the show. It's like this keynote is all stuff that I've heard John complain about and hypercritical. It's like he's addressing the points one by one. Uh, that's partially true because I mean, what did I have to complain about in hypercritical? It was all the stuff that bothers me, and this keynote was like. Uh, as many people have said, and I'm sure was said on, on Gruber's podcast, and we're certainly said amongst us all in person, it was like settling all old debts, you know, just knocking yeah. them all down. Yeah. I, I likened it when I was talking to, to John to the, the thing when they had that enterprise stuff where like iPhones, you know, people want to use iPhones in the enterprise and here are their complaints. Can't integrate with our exchange server. Can't, you know, provision it remotely. Can't do remote wipe. Can't, you know, they went through all these litany of complaints about why iOS wasn't good for enterprise. And they said, well, we did all those things. So shut up. I mean, they left off the last part, but it was that type of thing where here's all your complaints. Here's all the stuff that we know we've screwed up that we've been hearing about for all, you know, and these are things that have been festering. And they said, well, guess what? We're doing them all. And so SMS, you know, did you, do you hate SMS? Do you hate paying the stupid 10 cents and the 160 character limit and all that stuff? Well, we hate it too. And here's iMessage, you know, screw SMS. And I think that was, that was the narrow laser focus of iMessage was, hit SMS, get, you know, solve that problem. And wrongly, as you, we both noted, they didn't pull up one more level and say, well, isn't this just about like messaging? And really, we already have a big mess with the FaceTime and iChat thing. Let's not add a third. Let's unify this. They didn't do that. They, wasn't, they, were, they were narrow. Maybe you got to do that in the 1.0. Maybe this evolves and then iMessage comes to, to, you know, dominate and there's some sort of consolidation. But for now, we have iMessage. I don't use text messaging at all. But I still applaud. Well, shame on shame on you for that, because there is. I think every every week, I can think of one important text message I'd like to send you, and I I just think, wow, he's so like he's just so Twitter, disconnected. Twitter DM me, and I'll see it. Uh, it works. It's not did, the did same. Have, was there any Twitter DM you sent that I didn't get in a timely manner while I was here? I don't know. What? I'd have to review all three of them. <sighs> anyway. Yes, I'm sure eventually someday I'll break down on an iPhone, but that day is not today. See, I, I think the guy should have bought you an iPhone instead of a toaster. Yeah, and pay for the, the bill every month, right? Yeah, <laughs> no, probably. they should have roped you into that somehow. Yeah. So uh, what's left from this WWDC thing? Uh, well, let me just finish up on iPad. Uh, oh, iPad. there's more? iOS 5, yeah. Tabs in Safari, yay, about time. That was quick. Newsstand, uh, it's kind of weird. I look at Newsstand, and I see it as a solution to... The problem of people don't know where the hell to find the New York Times. The app store is huge. It's scary. It's filled with keyword squatters and fake apps and like cheat guides and God knows what else. And if you if you want to if you want to go somewhere and say what kind of magazines you got, you search for magazines. God knows what you'll find. I have, it's just at various times it's it's Apple versus these keyword squatters and crappy app things, and it's an ongoing battle. And so Apple wanted to make you know a clean, well lighted place for pe- using a metaphor that people are familiar with. Here's the newsstand. And my understanding is that that in the beginning, that's literally what it is. It's them collecting together all the things that are, in Apple's estimation, things that are magazine-y, that are periodicals. And they're just apps that already existed. And I think there are some hooks to do stuff with news. They had, they had a session on Newsstand. Uh, and I didn't go to it, unfortunately. But obviously, there's some more you can do. But initially, I believe Newsstand will just be filled with stuff like the New York Times app, the Fortune magazine app, the Wired magazine app, stuff like that. Uh, so it's interesting that they felt the need to make their store easier to navigate by making another little silo that's a subset of their store. 
Well, you know, I think I think this may be. I don't know if it if it's a clue into a bigger, but why why wouldn't Apple come out with their own document publishing infrastructure at some point that's bigger than this? That's if if you have a periodical, a newspaper, a, even a book, and you just want to publish it. Here, you know, we'll make it very, very easy for you to do that. You just create your content. Here's all the layout tools. Here's everything else that you need. And it'll all just go with a newsstand and people can subscribe to it right here. Yeah, people have been wanting Apple to do that since... Gosh, forever. Uh, when was it? Was it the iPad? iPad was going to be things. Apple's going to have a publishing right. solution. But right? I mean, did, doesn't, this, doesn't this feel like them sort of taking a first step in, in a way? No, I think it's I think it's exactly what I said it was. It's letting users more easily find apps that other people make. Mm. Apple Apple is probably wisely in my opinion has not has not decided to try to make a publishing platform. Like they're not going to compete with Adobe. Mostly because I think Apple doesn't have this expertise. Mm. And like look what they did with iBooks, right? So they used EPUB, which is a standard that they didn't make. Even that, where they made their own kind of like weird semi-compatible implementation of some conglomeration of EPUB stuff. Like someone else is doing the heavy lifting there and they're just implementing it. And even that is kind of testy and annoying and their apps don't export EPUB in quite the right way. And they don't work. You know, they're not trying to do your publishing workflow for you. That's not what Apple does as a company. As much as we all want them to solve that problem, especially publishers who are technically clueless, like, please, Apple, solve our publishing workflow problem. Apple has chosen not to do that so far. And instead, the publisher left, left to the, you know, the eager claws of Adobe, who's going to charge them some insane you know, rate for their tools that create these 500 megabyte magazines filled with giant images of magazine pages split up into a bunch of TIFFs or PDF or God knows whatever the hell they're doing. Uh, but yeah, Apple, Apple is not, not going into that market yet. I don't know if they ever will. Uh, and I think it's wise because I'm not, it's not even obvious to me what the solution would be. It's kind of like, well, we know we want something and we want it to be good, but we don't know what it is. So Apple come up with it. I don't think Apple really knows either. Uh, so they're staying out of it. Uh, what else do we have? Twitter integration. The, the relationship between Apple and Twitter is weird. Like, it's clear that they, they want to be... It, what it reminds me of, kind of, is the old relationship between Apple and Google. Remember when they were kind of like buddies? Like, Google was the, yeah. the company that could do online stuff, and Apple was this up-and-coming company that could do uh, client-side stuff, and they kind of complemented each other. And then those roads diverged, and the two guys went off in other directions. Well, Twitter is now like... Twitter is a social networking company that Apple gets along with. Like, Facebook and Apple aren't really getting along. You know, they tried to do that ping thing. It tried to make it be a Facebook thing, and that fell through, and they had to get ping without Facebook, and it's, you know, DOA for various reasons. Uh, but, yeah, not having Facebook in on that deal really hurt it, I think. But Twitter, they seem to get along with. Um, so the two of those companies seem to be, you know, like peas and carrots at this point. And they have the, you know, the single sign-on thing, like, that helps third-party developers be able to like pull up a sheet to send a tweet just like you can pull up a sheet to send an email. You know, It's a system integration for tweeting stuff, but I don't think it helps third-party iOS Twitter clients at all. Like, so Twitter's focus no, is now, you know, we'll help you integrate Twitter into your OS, but this doesn't really affect clients. We're still kind of the same story on that. Uh, well, here, here's what I said for your, for your benefit, and I guess for the listeners who don't listen to uh, the talk show or haven't listened to this week's yet or listening to this one first – uh, what I said is that I think it's very un-Apple-like for Apple to depend and integrate so heavily 
with a third party like this, that, that this is the kind of thing that Apple is usually loath to do for a variety of reasons that you can easily imagine why they might not want to so deeply tie into and integrate with a, a third party of any kind. Uh, and that uh, my guess is that if they're not planning to buy Twitter, that they have some kind of first right of refusal deal where if somebody else comes and wants to try and buy Twitter, although Jack will say that uh, Twitter is not for sale, that they, they're they going to have the opportunity before anybody else to buy Twitter because this is deep, deep, deep integration. And Apple's smart enough to know, smart enough to know that these old versions of operating systems, you know, when iOS 5 is old, whether that's in a year, two, three from now, there's still going to be people running iOS 5. And this relationship with Twitter isn't a short-term thing. If they're doing this deep of an integration, this means they're they're anticipating that this relationship will last. It's not like Ping, where they can just take Ping out of the next version of well, iTunes. Well, the thing is, that they tried they to have this Ping. relationship with Facebook. They tried to have this relationship with yeah, Facebook sure on Ping, and it fell through. Yeah, They seem to be willing to do this with social things. And they were willing to have this relationship with Google way back when, too. But then when those, those two guys drifted apart, like Google decided to make its own phone, then Apple was all, oh, we got to buy our own mapping company, or we got to, you know... They were like, everything that we're currently relying on Google for, let's start long-term plans to get off of them and do it ourselves if possible. I, even on the search front, like, let's buddy. But here's the thing, thing, you know, and I, I, I said this on the last show too, John, I, uh, on, uh, on the talk show, last episode of the talk show. I said, Apple has continuously not, they haven't had the best luck doing their own social stuff or integrating their social. I mean, you just meant, you know, you just mentioned the pink thing and how that felt. They have not had a very good track record here. So why not partner up with who is arguably? Oh yeah, no. I, I, I understand why. They're so they're going to buy. They have to buy them now. Well, the, well. So the thing you said that like they have right of first refusal. They have to. I, would, I, would, I would phrase it a different way. I would say they have to buy that. Them. That I don't think. I think they tried to buy them. there, but what I think no, it's got to be formal. The only company that Twitter would let buy it is Apple. And that's, that's the only my, company I would be comfortable that's, buying that's, Twitter. That's the shoe. The shoe is on that foot. That I don't. I don't think Twitter is trying to sell itself. I don't think Apple's trying to buy it. And in fact, I don't think Apple wants to really to do that. They'd rather have Twitter do its thing. It would be a hassle for them. Like they'd rather. Here's what I see. They want Twitter to do its thing and have good integration as long as Twitter doesn't decide to make its own phone or desktop operating system okay. or you know uh, music store or like. <laughs> As long as you're not competing with us, we are complimenting each other. We like the relationship, but we don't want to be responsible for running your business, especially since Twitter kind of has that problem of like, oh, by the way, how are you going to make money over right, there? But here's right, but the th- here's the thing, John. What if, what if something happens? What if Microsoft or Google or somebody else comes up? Yeah, then and you got to yank that crap out. Yeah, yeah. Ex- well, exactly. They don't want to have to go through that. Well, That's so why I, I said, think I think, it's, I think it's informal. I don't think it's, it's a right of first refusal contract. I think it's simply that they both know, they have talked to each other, and they both agree that we will never sell to anybody except that if Apple someday came and made an offer, uh, we would say yes. And I don't even know if that's been spoken. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I disagree with you. And I think right now, if you went into Steve Jobs' office or Jack Dorsey's office and you open up the top desk of their, their drawer, there's a little a little note in there. Maybe it's signed, I think. A little you heart know, at the bottom. A li- yeah. A little, you know, a picture of an apple with a heart and a little bird next to it. And... It, it for all intents and purposes, it's a deal that they can call out anytime they need. I guarantee you. I guarantee yeah, those, you. Those type of deals exist informally when there's trust between CEOs because they they wouldn't have written it up. And the thing is, I really think Apple. If Apple, first of all, if Apple wanted to buy Twitter, they would have already. Like you don't wait for the valuation to keep going up and up, right? So if they wanted it, they could have. Maybe gone. Twitter said no. I don't think. No, I don't think. Uh, 
I don't think Apple wants them at this point or doesn't want them at the price they that they would have to pay for it. They'd rather just like, you know, they get they want all the benefits with none of the cost. They don't want to have to deal with figuring out how Twitter makes money or paying for all its stuff or scaling it because that's just not what they're good at. Like, let Twitter be Twitter. And if they're not competing with us, we will they'll take all the benefit and not have to incur any of the cost of running that business. But if Twitter or ever can't figure out how to make money, starts going down the tubes or whatever, or becomes bargain priced, or Twitter ever decides they want to sell, right? If any of those things happen, you know, I believe that, they, that Apple and them would do a deal and Apple would buy Twitter versus now when they're getting offers from like Google, I'm sure loves to buy Twitter and probably made offers for it. And Microsoft tries to buy everybody, you know, and Twitter's going to go, no, 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 no. If Apple came on strong, if they changed their mind, decided, you know, what, we actually want to own Twitter because it'll be the first social thing that we own is awesome. And we're willing to spend a hojillion dollars for it. That's the only company Twitter would say yes for. Uh, and I don't have any more conspiracy theories about that. And uh, I'll say that this is not based on anything more than speculation. Uh, but it's interesting that you have the, is your information based on anything more than speculation? Because it's interesting you have exactly how, the same. How dare you, John Syracuse? I don't know. How what you dare know. you? I don't, I do not have access to the top drawer of Steve Jobs' desk or to right. Jack Dorsey's desk. But let, let me just put it this way. If, if you think about the mind of Steve Jobs and the way that he operates, he is, he takes risks, but he only takes risks when it's based on something that he feels that he almost personally as Apple can deliver. And this is in doing this level of integration is a huge risk if you don't feel that there's some degree of control there. That's all that's all I will say. Let's move on to the next topic. All right. If there uh, is one, if you must have one cuz this is a long show. Yeah, one last little bit here. Little and bit. It's, it, it's, and it's a kind of reminder that the Reminders app and the camera app, two examples, I'm sure you talked about this like crazy on Marco's show, so I'll gl- glance over it. But two examples of Apple integrating functionality that was previously represented by tons and tons of apps in the App Store. So there was better camera apps that had more features and Apple just folded them into their camera app. Right. And there were tons of Reminder apps, and now that Reminders are in the OS. And the, the example that I give for these two particular ones, Reminders and Camera, is that the iPhone from day one is shipped with a weather app, but that has not stopped eight gazillion weather apps from being on the App Store. Uh, so, it, again, I'm sure you covered this all in the Marco thing, but like Apple folding features into its built-in programs is good for the customer, and in most cases, it's probably not bad for third-party developers. And the weather app is the best example for things like cam- camera and reminders because those are fundamental, built-in from day one. But so is the weather app and, you know, different strokes for different folks. You know, so maybe maybe if you have a business now that's bigger than the weather app business, uh, like, uh, you know, your reminder app now is bigger than the weather app business. And this will shrink you down to the size of the weather app business. But I don't think the weather app business is hurting on the app store. Just search for weather apps and you'll see what it's like out there. Uh, and the only thing I have now is, is like, like I said before, this oh, this is a different analogy. Uh, it reminded me of the, the enterprise thing where they're, they're you know, just saying, all that stuff you wanted here it is. It also reminds me of, I don't know, you know, a software level. It reminds me of like the, the 10.4 and 10.5 releases of Mac OS X, where they're like big bang releases with tons of new features that like they had to get their feet under them. They had to get the infrastructure in. They had to do multitasking, you know, copy and paste, like or whatever. But now is the time we can really start, you know, cranking on, on the big feature releases. And iOS 5 is the first big. It's interesting that it's the same type of thing as, as you know, 10.5, which introduced Time Machine and tons of new APIs and stuff like that. This is like the first really big bang release. And it's interesting exactly, you know, iOS 4 was big and, and iOS 5 is even bigger and it's like 10.4 Tiger and 10.5 Leopard. Uh, I think like iOS is in the steep part of its growth, growth graph. It's kind of like its teenage growth spurt right now. And, and that's fun to watch. 
even if Mac OS 10, it's kind of in its dotage in a rocking chair, getting a couple incremental <laughs> features and stuff like that. I think interesting things are happening in line, but again, I don't really talk too much about them, but you can watch the keynote and see what's there. So that's all I think I have on the WWDC keynote. We, too bad we didn't have time today to talk about WWDC itself and meeting people and everything. All I can say is that it's been a great experience and I've been humbled and honored and met so many awesome people. More, It was better than I thought it could possibly be in terms of who I would get to talk to about what and just I've just, you know, met and talked to everybody. It's been great. Well, I'm, uh, I'm really glad you got a chance to go. Wish I could have gone this year. One thing I'd like to add is I got a, a tweet here from uh, an, an at message, not a DM, so I'm, I feel comfortable reading it. It's from Ken Fisher. Do you know do you know who Ken Fisher is? Yes, I do. Okay, Ken yeah, Fisher. I saw, I saw that message. All right, the, allow me to read it, please. Go ahead. <clears throat> uh, EIC at ours here. What is EIC stand for? Editor in chief. I thought he, they were switching to Grand Poobah now. Uh, that's what you're switching to. Okay. EIC at ours here. I imagine a very Donald Trump sort of voice, very commanding presence. The way he comes on. I'll have you know that Syracuse had told no one at ours, in all caps, no one at ours he wanted to go or was even going to WWDC. And he ends it with a emoticon, a happy face. Yeah, I don't... See, that's what Jackie said when I met her, uh, Jackie and Clint from ours, who I've been you know, talking to online for just years and years, and years, but still had never met in person. So I met them. They didn't even know I was here until I started tweeting about being here. But I think it's illustrative of my point they didn't say, wait a second, are you here? Until like a day into me tweeting, like I'm landing and I'm on the BART and you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm tweeting things that are clearly indicating that I'm at WWDC and talking about you know, San Francisco and things in San Francisco. And then like half a day later, they said, wait a second, are you here? This shows they just don't listen to me. Yeah. Like I didn't do a big announcement like, hey, everybody, I'm going to WWDC, but I talked about it all the time. Now, to, to, you know, talking to about it for them, weeks. To excuse them, yeah, well, they don't listen to my podcast or anything like that. Fine, but there's an IRC room. Ours uses IRC for its, you know, communication. And even though I'm not an ours employee, I hang out in there just to talk with the right. people. Sort of like a troll. Yeah, well, more, yeah, more like a heckler. Kind of creeping but, but yeah, around. In there. But that's why I'm constantly hanging out in there and saying things. And I'm typing things all day long, and they've just all been trained to ignore me because <laughs> I'm just blathering crap. So when I'm talking about, like, stuff <laughs> I'm going to do with WWDC or whatever, you know, Ken's in that room all the time, too. But just because he's in the room doesn't mean he's, you know, he's idling in IRC, right? So somehow they either ignored all my messages that referenced IRS, uh, references that I was going to WWC, or they just weren't in the room when they happened. And as for telling who I was going to go, I, rem- I sent a direct message to another uh, uh, Ars Technica employee. I don't remember who it was, but I don't think it was Ken. Or maybe it was Ken. I'll have to go through my IRC logs. But I sent a, a private message on IRC that said, hey, I'm going to WWC. How many tickets do you have? Or do you think there's any chance that, you know... Uh, you could pay for part of my trip or something like that. And I never heard back and I didn't mm. pursue it further. So it's my fault for not pursuing it further, but I assumed they had gotten the message and like, you know, I knew how many tickets they had. They only had ones for, you know, uh, Jackie and Clint, where I think they only had two. I don't even know if they had any passes thing, but at any rate, I, I wasn't, as we talked about in the last show, I don't blame them for not paying for any part of my trip because I didn't work for them when I was here. You know, I just did what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. Didn't write anything for ours when I was here and so on and so forth. And other people said, well, isn't this like a research trip for, your Mac OS 10 line review, sort of, but like, you know, they'll pay me for that, you know. So, so you, you, feel, you feel that the, the line piece that you'll write, you'll be financially compensated for to a degree that you're satisfied with. 
and that yeah, going that going to WWDC was important to you, and that's why you did it. You were certainly not expecting anything. Yes, yes. They're, uh, but, they're always good to me in terms of payment for for my Mac OS 10 reviews, and I have no complaints. And I'm you're the one who was getting on the thing of like, why isn't our response? It's not me. It's all coming from you. And so he was replying to you and saying, "Hey, we didn't even know he was going." No, he was he was very clear, and I you know what? I believe him. I believe him. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm not saying he knew and didn't. I'm just saying like it's they didn't know because I'm always talking and they just learned to ignore me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there are also people who don't read every. Actually, tweet. I know exactly what they mean. Yes, there are people who don't read every tweet in their stream, and I do tweet a lot. And even though most of them do follow me, you know, they definitely are not. I read every tweet type of thing. So yeah, but at any rate, I saw the RS people who were here. I got to mar- meet a lot of this, a lot of people who I'd never met before in RS, uh, and that was great. And everything worked out fine. And I have no issues with this trip or anything related to it. You know what anything. they'd say about, they'd say you're a stand-up guy that you just said, this is important. I'm just going to do it. I don't care. These guys don't need to, I don't need anything from them. Well, I want to go. I'm going. But like I said, if they had said, Hey, we'll help, you know, pay for blah, blah, blah. Then I would have been like, Oh geez, do I even really want that? Because now like, oh, I and you got that hanging over. You. I have to do work. You know, I've already you're indebted article. to them then. No, but like this way, you went as a free man. Be, You're your own yeah, man. I could do whatever I want, whenever I wanted. I had no obligation to do any writing. I, th- I, like I fantasized that. before I went that I was going to like, Maybe I can write some parts of the review while I'm here. Forget about that. Just forget. It's not. I've, I knew that was kind of foolish, but yeah, I realized like it's like I leave the hotel room in the morning, come back at three a.m., collapse, get up, go to the sessions the next morning. You know, so it's not. It's you're not, not. You're not. You're you're unbeholden. Yes, and and that's the way I wanted it to be. So, I have no complaints, and you should stop stirring the pot. That's what I say. Okay. Instigator. Also, shame on you then. No, it's yourself. Shame on you. Okay. But that's it for this week. Yes, we are done. We are done. And we will be back regular time next week. Is that safe? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Okay. People get very upset when I move things around on that schedule. I know. Hey, we like It's like if somebody comes in and, uh, you know, like if if somebody while you were gone came in and moved to your desk, you know, moved your keyboard around, moved your mouse around or your weird... Yeah. You get very upset in there. You'd be like, what? wait a minute, somebody moved my stapler. You know, it's, you got you to gotta account for this. WWDC is... Uh... Even while we were doing the show, John, people were tweeting saying that they miss Hypercritical and when will it be coming out? And I said, that it, while we were on the show, I looked, I said, it, you're missing it, it's on right now. And don't, don't <laughs> you look at the schedule? So I'll say this. There's two things I'm going to do here that I don't normally do. I, I frequently ask people to, to review the shows if they like them, or, if, I mean, if they don't, but obviously if they do, it's better. To go and review, you know, review the shows on iTunes. That's not what I'm asking for today. There's two other things. The first one is go to 5x5.tv slash schedule, or as you, as you would say in the Jean-Luc Picardian style of which you are so well known for, the schedule. Go look at that, 5x5.tv slash schedule, and you will see, uh, <clears throat> for the most part, the, the days and times that we do the live shows. And we do try to move them around. So like yesterday when we were attempting to do it, Early in the morning, uh, I, I had it on the schedule for yesterday early in the morning. When we found out we couldn't do it, I immediately moved it to today and then uh, updated it as soon as we had a time. So that I do I do my best to keep that up to date. Uh, so look at that. And the other thing, and this is something that uh, I, I've been encouraged to do this, and I don't really like to do this. But I've been encouraged to do it by a, a couple of the other people and, and a, a handful of listeners. And that is this. If for some reason you would like to help support what we do at 5x5 and uh, and, and are feeling generous, uh, we would love to receive your generosity if, if you feel so inclined by going to 5x5.tv slash donate. 
where you can donate as much or as little as uh, you choose in a variety of different ways or not or don't go there and uh, the shows will stay just as uh, as great as they ever have been so uh, but that's it anything you would like to add follow John Syracuse at Syracuse on Twitter he has no Facebook account I do have one believe it or not I have one from way back but I do not look at it almost ever but Twitter you can follow him on Twitter Yes. And you can follow me on Twitter if you so choose at Dan Benjamin. And that's it. Have a great week. Thank you, John. Thank you, Dan. Mm-hmm.